Good evening and welcome to Sakamichi Nights. Good evening and welcome back to Tachikawa. It's night time. We are in our tap room and we're drinking beer. I am Matthew Manchego and you are... Daniel Dorchester, Dan Blue. Daniel Dorchester, Dan Blue. That's hyphenated. Welcome back to the show, Daniel Dorchester, Dan Blue. It's good to see you again. Thank you. It's nice to see you as well. Have you been having a good week this week? I have been having a pretty good week. Do you know what I did uh, yesterday? For the purposes of the podcast, let's say that no, I don't. I did a whole lot of... Some might call it nothing. I didn't leave my house. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been kind of busy here and there on days when I was not in here. So yesterday I kind of staked out uh, the day for myself. And I played uh, a lot of uh, the most recent God of War, which is not that recent. came out a few years ago. It came out on the PS4, didn't it? Which dates it a bit. That is what I have to play video games on. Yes, yes, it's on the PS4. Uh, Anyway, that's great. That was really good. Uh, Also... On Netflix now, they have Tenet, a recent Christopher Nolan film. Mm, I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan, but I haven't seen Tenet yet, so Mm. no spoilers, please. I can comply with that request because the movie is inscrutable. Okay. It's difficult to spoil. You understand the basic premise from seeing trailers, I'm sure. Um, No, actually, I've tried to avoid as many trailers as I can. I know almost nothing about Tenet, except for the fact that the guy from Twilight is in it. Oh, yeah, that was the guy from Twilight, wasn't it? Right. He's great. In in Twilight. (laughs) Right. I've heard that he's actually a good actor. He had uh, an idea for a pasta snack that you can eat on the go. Do you remember seeing this story? I don't know anything about this, but I'm I'm intrigued. This is already better than anything I had to say tonight. It was in the papers a while ago, and some journalist went to interview him, I think about the film that he was working on, but actually all he wanted to talk about was this kind of pasta snack that you could hold in your hands and eat. It was, he, he tried to recreate it for the journalist, but had some trouble in the kitchen, mm. I think. But basically he described it as a kind of sphere of pasta that contained the sauce within it. Okay. And you could hold it in your hands and bite into it and munch it on the Like dough. an apple but of pasta. Yes, exactly, like an apple. So the skin would be the pasta, and then the flesh would be the sauce. Wouldn't some kind of tube tube pasta delivery device be a better system for that? Maybe you need to get in touch with them. Like a Go-Gurt, but for pasta? I don't know what a Go-Gurt is. Um, But what, what kind of sauce would you put in your... I guess this is a burrito. What you're describing is a burrito, except that the skin is made of pasta. What kind of sauce what are you would talking you about? Inside? No, no, it's an inedible tube, and inside is pasta mixed with the sauce, which you squeeze, you open, you squeeze right. it into your mouth. But that's the genius of his idea: is that the part that you hold is also edible, right? Okay. Like a burrito, okay, mm. or like a banana, if you're really determined. Mm. You eat the outside part as well as the inside part, right? If you have the heart of a champion. Yes. Why peel a banana? Just crunch right on into it. It's got to be useful things in that peel. Recently, my wife has decided that you can't eat the tip of the banana. So whenever we give our kids bananas, she insists on giving them a little bris before handing them over. (laughs) The bananas. Okay, good. And and throwing away. Less horrifying. The apex of the banana. Right, okay. Apparently that's where all the poison is. (laughs) Bananas have poisons. This is... I don't really understand it myself. I've been eating the tips of the banana for my whole life. I'm still alive. I mean, 
After a fashion. Well, uh, yes, I'm a, a walking shambles of a man. <laughs> but I don't think that's down to the bananas. Sense of humor honest. is intact. That's what's most important. I don't think it's down to the bananas. I, I guess I need more detail. Like, what is what is this poison? Because I've eaten whole bananas my entire life as well. So if there is poison there, it's got to be pretty mild. You're asking for more information than I have. Yeah. Anyway, you should check out Tenet um, to circle back. It was great. I really enjoyed it. But it's uh, you have two kids, and I, I don't know what your movie watching time is. You just wait for them to go to bed and put on headphones, or how does that work? Uh, no, I have to wait for a day when they're out and I'm in the house by myself. It's okay. usually pretty late by the time they go to bed. So I'm guessing Tenet is pretty long. It is Most yeah, Christopher two hours and something. Yeah, right, so yeah. Two hours plus. So if they go to bed at 10, that's not really going to be practical. That's true. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a movie you want to pay attention to. Okay. So you will need some, some time to yourself. Are you a Christopher Nolan fan? I have am. you seen all of his other films? I don't know. I've seen all of them, but sure. What is your favorite Christopher Nolan film other than Tenet, obviously? Uh, he did... Now, I'm not a super kind of cinephile. Um, what else did he did? He did the, the, the prestige business. The Prestige was good. Memento. Dunkirk. Memento, also good. Dunkirk was great. Keep going. Inception. All these. Inception was... I rewatched Inception recently and really enjoyed it. It's Interstellar. Interstellar, I really really liked mm. interstellar might be my favorite the only thing that bugs me about interstellar is that he manages to communicate to her this like formula or theory that unlocks the secret to interstellar travel spoiler essentially alert. through spoiler alert spoiler alert you've seen it right yes I essentially have. through morse code and i feel like like they're struggling with this problem for years and the smartest mind on earth cannot crack it. And then she sees twitching watch hands and she goes, oh, my dad's communicating with me and I've figured this whole thing out. And I feel like... Does she know it's her dad? Well, that's really beside the point. The point is, through this extremely primitive means of communication, he communicated this thing that was so complicated that the greatest minds on earth working singularly on this task for however many years could not crack it. Mm. So it must be a complex thing. And yet, somehow through, like, Tiki Watch Hand, Morse Code, he managed to communicate this to her in a short period, what I feel like in the movie was quite a short period of time. Maybe it's kind of an, uh, a not an NP kind of problem, in that once you see the solution, it's very easy to check that it's correct. But in order to get to that solution, you would have to try every possible solution. There's no shortcut to it. Ah, uh, perhaps. My, my mm. question is, I don't think that she knew it was her dad. Why didn't he just say at the end, Oh, and by the way, it's your dad. By the mm. way, Mark, it's your dad. I'm trapped in a tesseract with some weird robots. And he wakes up at the end and they're like, who the hell are you? Like, we're all about your, your granddaughter or whatever. Your daughter has, has saved the earth and he gets no credit for anything. It, it was him all along. Yeah, it was part of the kind of the resurrection of uh, Matthew McConaughey's career, mm. wasn't it? Did like it started with that and it ended with uh, Lincoln commercials. Did it start with that or did it start with the cop drama he was in with Woody Harlson. True Detective. True Detective. That was um, great. Which was amazing. Yeah. He's really good in that. Mm. I feel we may be drifting slightly from the point here, which was... Before we drift off, though, have you seen the Matthew McConaughey Lincoln commercials? Is he playing the same character that he played in True Detective? Rust no. Cole? He's playing Matthew McConaughey. Okay. 
driving a Lincoln and oh, having the a car. monologue. Okay, it's not a it's not an advert for the the president, the ex president. No, no, no. That man, he needs no 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 PR at this point. Uh, no, no. It's him driving various Lincolns and having super authentic Matthew McConaughey moments where he internally monologues about life and how it relates to driving a Lincoln. Mm. They are amazing and not in any kind of way that makes you want to buy a Lincoln, but in a way that makes you want to watch them all. How about we make the car a place of quiet contemplation? That, that might be a line from one of those commercials. Right. That's yep. a line from True Detective. Okay. We've wandered somewhat far afield. We're not here. What are we here to talk about? We're not here to talk about Matthew McConaughey or his renaissance. Shame. We are here to thank our sponsors hmm. for this week. How's your man shaft, by the way? Uh, the Curse of the Man Shaft. Uh, this week, uh, the Sakamichi Nights podcast is brought to you in part by The Mustache. Thank you, The Mustache. It's great. Thanks. Top three mustaches right now. Tell me. Tom Selleck. Yep. Uh, Chopper Reed. Okay. I don't know. Is there a third one? I watched one of the Mission Impossible movies recently, and Henry Cavill was in it, and he had a pretty memorable mustache. It was a kind of mustache and five o'clock shadow combination. Is that even number one, Henry Cavill's mustaches, when you have the, uh, was what was it, the Justice League movie one, where he had the, the mustache put on? No, it was airbrushed fact. out, wasn't it? That's what it was, yes. yes. I saw that, and I didn't know that it happened, and I thought... I said to the person I went to see the movie with, he looks like an alien from a planet that does not have smiling expressions and someone told him what a smile was and he was trying to do it. Like he'd never seen one and, and, and he'd never done it. Yeah, yes. someone said, well, you corners your... That was shocking. Okay, I guess that's more of a negative mustache than a mustache. Right. So should we say that Henry Cavill in the Mission Impossible... I guess I have to go with it, mustache. Yeah. Selleck, Chopper Reed... Henry Cavill in Mission Impossible. Big three mustaches hmm. right there. Just done. Thank you very much, The Mustache, for, for bringing this episode of Sakamichi Nights to everyone. Um, we're here to celebrate beer, aren't we, Daniel Bellamy? We are, but we are not here to Wait a review minute. Who's beer? Daniel Bellamy? Daniel Dorchester Danblue. Giving all away all my secrets. Oh, no. We are here to celebrate beer. Uh, what is the beer that we are here to celebrate this week? We are here to celebrate the current edition of TDM 1874's IPA. Are we here to review the current edition of TDM 1874's IPA? We are not here to review it. We are not a peer review show. If we are talking about it on this show, it means that it is good beer because we have it in the fridge for sale or under normal circumstances on tap for sale. Uh, we are not going to sell anything that we think is bad beer, so... If it's in the fridge, if it's on tap, if we're talking about it on this show, you can rest assured that it's a great beer. Uh, we're going to talk about our impressions of it, but uh, you know it's a good one. You know it's a banger. It's a banger. It's a Sakamichi it's a banger. banger. We don't sell bad beer, uh, and we certainly don't talk about bad beer on this, uh, on this show. So if we're talking about it, if we're drinking it, if we're selling it, it gets the Sakamichi seal of approval. Um, this particular beer, though, has had perhaps... Not quite as laudatory an award, but still, you know, a pretty good one, hasn't it? Um, in TDM, its lineage. TDM 1874, not this particular version, but in the past, has won a gold medal at the International Beer Awards mm. 
for the American style IPA. Uh, I think it was version 10 of theirs. Mm. It beat out uh, a very famous brewery, the Karl Strauss Aurora Hoppialis. Which we've had before and is a great beer. It's an excellent beer. So standing on the shoulders of giants there, mm. TDM 1874. It's, I don't think, I don't know if they reflected on the can so much, but they, uh, this IPA, they don't actually say version whatever it is. I thought they said it was on here somewhere. In order to figure out the version. Yeah, you need to look at what the sell-by date, the best-by date is, and then go on their website and compare it to a table. So this is version 16, Mm. according to the website, anyway. Uh, And they change the hot bill every time. So version 10, which I think is the version that won that award, had Magnum, Equinot, Simcoe, Mosaic, and Citra. Equinot, a hop that we featured last week. Mm. But Equinot Hazy Pale. Exactly. This week's IPA uh, number 16 has Magnum Sabro, Idaho 7, Cryo Citra, and Mackinaw hops. Mm. Am I pronouncing that right? Mackinaw, yeah. Mackinaw. So some really hot hops in there. There are Sabro and uh, Idaho 7 been hot for for a minute for a year i guess you see them popping up quite a bit we're actually getting in the uh west coast brewing second anniversary strawberry milkshake double ipa should arrive on friday i think and that one has sabro in it as well i believe i just looked at that today but i'm pretty sure that one also has sabro it has sabro in it amongst a number of other things i think it's not a single hot beer no Let's not get distracted hmm. from this beer, though. Before you taste it, I haven't tasted it yet. Have you tasted it yet? I have not tasted it yet. Based on this hot bill, what do you think it's going to taste like? Uh, you are really putting me on the spot with the question I can't answer. <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't know either. I don't know either. I don't know what this is going to taste like. But from these hops, I think that Idaho 7 has a reputation for being quite a juicy hop. Mm. Juicy and fruity. Citra, obviously, a lot of citrus, lemon, grapefruit mm. in that. And Mackinac, I'm not really sure what that hop tastes like. I haven't drunk enough Mackinac beers yet to really get a handle on that one. Yeah, I, I I'm guessing it's going to be quite juicy. Mm. Not that bitter, but quite a fruity I would imagine that the Magnum is doing the heavy lifting for the bitterness. Yes. And I would think that the other hops are in there for the various kind of other flavors that they're bringing into things. Uh, and actually, glancing at the website now, it looks like a lot of the versions have used Magnum in them. So I wonder if that's kind of their baseline bittering hop that they use and then change the other ones for aroma and flavor in different quantities and using different hops. Magnum is also the bittering hop that we use for most of our beers. Right. Classic bittering Classic. Well, let's not mess about any further. Let's dive into the beer. I think it's pretty subtle, but I get a little bit of coconut out of this. Interesting. Maybe a kind of pina colada kind Mm. of thing. It could be because I sat down and ate a whole packet of pineapple earlier today. Mm. But I'm getting a little bit of pina colada out of this. Um, Visually, very clear, very light for an IPA. Um... Not not a huge head, but quite a nice effervescence. It's perfectly carbonated. Mm. But yeah, the um, the flavor is is quite subtle, and there's a lot going on in there. But yeah, that's that's my biggest flavor takeaway from this. I think 
pina colada, grapefruit, mm. and pineapple, and yeah. coconut. Yeah, I certainly taste uh, a bit of that citrus action going on. It's got a lot of fruitiness in the aroma. Uh, but the thing I, I notice most when I drink it is, uh, again, I, I agree with you. I think the subtle, the flavors are quite subtle. But the thing I notice most is the most is the mouthfeel. As you mentioned, like the carbonation is quite tight, like small bubbles almost. Mm. Um, and it's got quite a soft, rounded mouthfeel. Like, I don't know, it, it feels good in your mouth. And you don't, the, the aroma kind of promises a lot of fruit. And then the flavor is a bit more subtle than I think the promise of the aroma, but the the overall experience of drinking it is really nice. It goes down quite pleasantly, I think. Yeah, I mean, if you were to just look at the numbers and say it's a 7% beer with 60 IBUs, that sounds like a real mouthful, Mm. but it's not. It's quite silky Mm. and smooth. Silky is a good word. And I think you're right. It's it's got an excellent mouthfeel, and I think that speaks to... It's something that people often overlook when they're making IPAs. I think the IPAs are just all about the hops. What mm. hops can you get in here? Forget mm. about the malt. But you need that malt base, that backbone, to make, to give everything else, you know, a space to play on, I think. Mm. And not to toot our own trumpets too hard, but our own anniversary IPA, I think, is a success because the malts worked well mm. in that and we can change the hops in it. We can figure out some different ways that we want the hops to taste on that. But because the malt bill works well, we have space to play in, I think. Sure. I think the malt bill, often I, I feel like it's the backbone of the beer. The potentially you're not going to... I don't think many people drink a beer and will pick out specifically what, what your malt bill is bit by bit. Uh, they might notice a little bit here and there. Uh, whereas with hops, I think it's much more noticeable that, that some people who are really educated and have an educated palate can drink something and pick out the individual hops. But in order to have the hops perform to their fullest and bring out the most flavor from them, they have to be suited to the malt backbone that you've created in the beer. And I feel like in this one, the, the malt backbone really allows this uh, hop mixture to shine, I think. Yeah, I think um, I often find myself reaching for an orchestra metaphor for all kinds of things. But the malt is almost like the the cellos and the bass horns. You know, they they provide the backing for everything else to to play on top of. Mm. And although you might notice the lead violin the most, it would sound terrible if it was just there by itself. Mm. You need everything else backing it up in order to, to make it a complete sound or a complete taste. Sure. Let's try to pair this very complex and very interesting beer with a few different things. As we do every week, I've prepared a list of pairings, and I'm going to roll a virtual dice this week because I can't find my real dice. What happened? That's that's kind of shameful, isn't it? You've lost your dice. I looked in the place where I keep my dice sack, and it wasn't there. So something has happened to it. I don't know. Don't look at me like that. Somebody has been touching my dice sack. Still don't look at me like that. I don't know what happened to your dice. The six options on the Wheel of Pairings are number one, food, number two, TV or movies, number three, music, number four, video game, number five, location, or number six, wild card. Let's roll the virtual dice and see what we're going to be pairing this week. Number four, video game. Hmm. This one seems to come up quite often. Hmm. 
So this is a complex IPA with a bunch of different flavors going on. It's got an expertly crafted malt backbone. I think it's maybe a beer that you want to pay attention to while you're drinking it. What would be the video game you would want to play? I agree that it's, it's a beer you want to pay attention to, that you don't just want to throw down. I think that pairs nicely also with a game that you want to pay attention to. And maybe that seems counterintuitive. Like if you're paying attention to the game, how can you pay attention to the beer? But I feel like the two things go hand in hand in that you can focus on the game. And then when you have a sip of the beer, you can focus on the beer. So I want uh, something that I, that I'm going to pay a lot of attention to. I really enjoyed a game called uh, flower. Mm. Did you play that? I did. I was actually thinking about that game. I'm not going to choose it, but that was one of the ones I thought of. That game really drew me in. And calling it a game is is kind of a misnomer in a way. Like, there were loosely drawn kind of objectives, but you were basically a a petal petal on the wind Hmm. uh, going around kind of lighting up other flowers. It's difficult to describe the game. Uh, And was it the same? That same studio did Journey? Uh, I don't know. It's quite possible. You know the game Journey, though. I know the game Journey, yeah. Similar thing, more of a game structure to it, uh, but they were kind of really good-looking games, uh, very interesting, in some ways kind of, I wouldn't say proof of concept, but uh, not fully fleshed out kind of games as we know them in the current age. But they were games that really kind of drew you into them and, and, and paid you off for paying attention to them. So uh, I think either of those with this beer, pay attention to the game, have a sip of the beer, pay attention to the beer, pay attention to the game, kind of drifting back and forth, that feels right to me. I never played Journey, but I have played Flower. My memory is that, or my impression of Journey as well, is that they are both fairly short experiences. It's Mm. not a game, it's not a 40-hour game. No, it's a few hours. A couple of hours, right. And I think that that is similar to this beer. It's small, but perfectly formed. Mm. It's an experience that you're really going to enjoy and you kind of have to really pay attention to because it's not going to last for Mm. that long. Um, And there's another game along those lines called, uh, I think, Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. Mm. Yeah, I played that game. You control one of the two brothers with each analog stick and with a trigger. And I don't know, something about that game connects it to this beer i think Mm. it's a small but perfectly formed game that tells a complete story within itself Mm. and i think you could say the same thing about this beer it's a small but perfectly formed beer that tells a complete story within itself Mm. maybe you feel like the hops play perfectly with each other much the same way the brothers maybe George, george juniper had to travel to the top of a mountain to collect a blue flower Mm. and bring it back Save his father? Um, Met met a spider along the way? Mm. No spoilers here for Brothers Hello Two Sons. It's a really good game and Mm. you should play it if you have time. Uh, With some coordination, you can play that two player. That would be really hard, I think. It's not, I did it. Really? (laughs) That's my my recommendation. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it, that they change the hot bill for this IPA. Every time they brew it, it seems, but without really drawing a lot of attention to that. Mm. Uh, yeah, it seems to me we have, uh, not to go back to West Coast Brewing, but we have Full Hop Alchemist in here, and it's version 15. 
and they are very clear each time it comes out it's on the can it's on all the branding to say which version it is uh, I feel like that's information that that at least me as a drinker I'm I'm interested in that I would like to know that it might be more interesting in even to to potential customers to drinkers to say to give it a different name every time or to, to put that number on the can or to put the different hops prominently on the can mm. but they're just calling it IPA every time and you kind of have to search out this information that it is a different hop bill every time but um, perhaps one of the reasons they do that is because they're buying hops in relatively small amounts and using them up rather than buying huge bags of them so that they can just keep pumping through the same beer again and again and again. Mm. Uh, and one of the reasons that they might do that is because hops do start to go off over time, mm. don't they? Yeah, sure. Um, so I thought we could talk a little bit about uh, how to store hops and how hops mm. should be stored in the brewery. Or if you're a home brewer and you're listening to this, there might be a few good tips uh, in this for you. Why don't you, uh, why don't you start first talking about how the hops come to you because that's you know they're coming from hop sellers how they arrive to you is probably the best possible condition for them to be packaged in right yes that's right so they would arrive packaged usually in some kind of plastic or mylar bag that has been purged of oxygen and sealed very tightly uh, and that's because Oxygen is one of the things that is going to spoil your hops really quickly. So, and beer. We've talked about that a bit before. And beer, exactly. Oxygen, essential for human life, but really terrible for mm. beer. makes things go off quickly. Um, they will also be packaged in some kind of opaque packaging as well because uh, light, probably specifically UV light, is also going to make your hops go bad quickly. Mm. Uh, and they are typically cold shipped to you because um, heating them up is the other thing that is going to make hops go off mm. or go bad quickly. So if you receive the hops or sealed in a bag and you keep them in that bag without opening them, without exposing them to light and without heating them up, you can keep them in that bag for potentially years mm. without them really losing very much of their character. Mm. Perhaps we should also mention that one of the reasons that you don't want hops to go off is because they will lose a lot of their volatile flavor compounds and they will gain either some kind of extra astringent bitterness mm. that they give to your beer or potentially some kind of off flavor. Right. I know that if hops get exposed to ultraviolet light, then they can sometimes give the beer a kind of cheesy kind of smell, mm. which is absolutely non-desirable. Despite the nicknames, not something you want. Not in a beer, no. It's definitely something you want in a podcast host, mm. but absolutely not something you want in a beer. Uh, and so those are the, the three biggest killers of hops. Your oxygen, your ultraviolet light, light, and temperature. Mm. You want to avoid all three of those things. So they're shipped to you in, in basically as perfect condition as, they, as you can receive them based on how far away you are and what that shipping process is. They're sealed up. They're in kind of bags that don't let light through and they're shipped to you cold. Uh, but then as a brewer, whether you're a home brewer or a professional brewer, you need to open them and use them 
And at that point, you've let a bunch of oxygen into the bag. So best case scenario, you use them all. But, you know, as, as anybody who's brewed, you know, your hop build doesn't always work out exactly to the bags of hops that you have. You're using a little bit of this, a lot of that, a bit here and there. You're going to end up with partial bags of hops that now have had oxygen introduced to them. What do you do with that? Maybe that's one of the ways in which uh, home brewing, brewing at home is a little bit easier than professional brewing because you can just order the amount of hops that you want, which is probably not very much, and then use them all. Mm. And it's not a particularly cost-effective way of doing it, but you don't have to worry about storing things. Right. But in a professional setting, not only are you going to have to order in a, a larger volume in order to make things economical, but also you want to try and make the same beer more than once, almost certainly. If you have some kind of flagship beer, you want it to taste the same mm-hmm. every time. And so you're going to have to try and store this big bag of hops that you've got in such a way that their character isn't going to change a lot. And you're going to be able to reuse that same bag to make basically the same beer without it changing too much. Uh, and so some of the things you can do to, to prevent the degradation of the hops are to to try and mitigate those three factors that we mentioned. So firstly, when you open the bag, as you mentioned, all the air rushes in and there will be oxygen within the bag. Mm. But breweries tend to have you know big tanks of CO2 just sitting around. And you can try to flush all of that oxygen out of uh, the bag uh, using that carbon dioxide. One of the key points about carbon dioxide is that it's heavier than air. Mm. So if you are putting the tube down to the bottom and slowly allowing CO2 to come into the bag, it's going to fill up from the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so if you can sense carbon dioxide at the top, that basically means that the bag is more or less purged of oxygen, of regular air. Um, so you can use carbon dioxide as some other kind of inert gas mm. to, to try and purge the bags. Um, to mitigate heat, well, it's pretty simple. You just keep them in the freezer. Yeah. That works. Uh, and to mitigate light, again, keeping them in the freezer works. Keeping them in their original packaging works. And another thing you can do is to vacuum pack the hops. So obviously that removes a lot of the air, a lot of the oxygen that's in there with them. Not all of it, of course. But if you vacuum pack them in a material like mylar, that's opaque and that's not going to let any air in, uh, not, not let any air in and also not let that much uh, light in mm. because the mylar is opaque and they're not going to get exposed to, to UV light. Sure. We talked to another brewer who uh, he said that they had been using a sealer that they had bought, I don't know, just off Amazon or something uh, for a while, but it was either not sealing the bags securely enough or it was a vacuum sealer or it wasn't drawing enough of the air out. Um, when you're talking about a home brewing setup, if you have a little bit of leftover hops and they don't seal up very well, you maybe have some other stuff that you can make it up with at small quantities. But uh, I'm sure anybody who has run any kind of business knows that controlling material costs is is a pretty important goal and and really factors into your bottom line so uh, the brewer that we talked to said they had invested in a much better much more expensive uh, but a much better vacuum sealer and it meant that the hops were like more air was being drawn out 
the seal was much better on the bags and they were not having to throw out as many hops from them being you know ruined from the seal opening in the fridge or uh, too much oxygen being in the bag so i think being able to seal this up again uh, as a home brewer again you're dealing in smaller quantities as you said maybe you're ordering exactly what you need for that brew but as we saw with the, the TDM IPA, they're using Magnum in everything. So they're probably ordering large quantities of Magnum, needing to seal up those bags. I would imagine having like a good quality, expensive vacuum sealer is probably a pretty worthwhile investment. Absolutely, yes. And then one of the things that you can do when you receive your huge bag of Magnum hops is split it up into lots of individual bags mm. that are about the size that you're going to use and just spend an afternoon purging them all mm. with CO2 and then properly sealing them up and putting them in the freezer. And hopefully that will allow them to keep for, for a good long time. Um, I've seen some research saying that in the original factory packaging, you can keep hops for up to four or five years without them really losing right. too much of their character. Mm. But if you do open them once you do open them, as long as you do your best to, to mitigate those three factors, the oxygen, the light, the temperature, then they can still be perfectly usable for up to six mm. months. A little peek behind the curtain and tell me, in your experience, how often do you think brewers go, we need to use these hops? Let's put them in a beer. I know the recipe creation is like, hey, we want these flavors, let's look for these hops, let's order stuff, but I also know how businesses work. And if you've got something sitting in the fridge, you know, I've worked in restaurants, like you need to figure out, okay, we've got this leftover, whatever, we need to put it in, you know, let's make a soup, let's figure out how to use this thing. How often does that happen in recipe design where it's like, okay, we've got 200 grams of this one left, let's fit it into a beer somewhere. Maybe one of the key differences is that if you're working in a restaurant where that absolutely does happen, okay, we need to use this fish. Mm, today. Chef special. Yeah. It's the fish today. You don't actually have that much of the fish. Mm -hmm. But if you're brewing a beer, you could be making like a thousand liters mm -hmm. of this stuff unless you have a tiny pilot system. So you have to be kind of sure that your recipe is going to work. You don't want to just, you know, let's not mm. waste the $50 that these hops cost to make $5,000 right, worth of beer enough. that we yeah. are then going to have to throw away mm. later because nobody wants to buy it. But absolutely that does happen. Let's look at what we have in the fridge. Let's think about how we're going to use these hops. Are these going to be used as bittering hops, mm. as flavoring hops, as aroma hops? If they're being used as bittering hops, none of those kind of flavor compounds are really going to be hanging around. So you can figure out, based on the alpha acids percentage in those hops, you can substitute and you can say, okay, well, we need to use these. Let's substitute a certain percentage of these magnums for this something else. Mm -hmm. And all we're getting out of this is the, the bittering. Right. And we, we can then get some value mm -hmm. out of these hops. And again, with flavoring hops, it depends when you add them into the boil, but you're getting something out of them. You mm -hmm. might be able to substitute that for something else right. just to use up a hop. So that absolutely does happen, but perhaps brewers are a bit more cautious about it than chefs might be. Right. And you always, you, you take a lot of notes when we have brew days of everything that goes on and little changes that are made here and there. I, I suppose part of that is, uh, 
you know, there's a lot of reasons for that problem solving if something goes wrong. But I, I suppose also if you make a change like that and you substitute something in and the beer turns out incredible, it's nice to be able to say, ah, we made these changes. Like we substituted this, this hop in for this and a little bit of this. Maybe it was an unexpected, uh, pleasant change, but being able to trace those back as well and say, how did we end up with this beer that we really like better than maybe the previous version we brewed, I think is probably also really useful information. What could be worse than making the best beer you've ever made in your career and having no idea how you made it, being <laughs> unable to recreate that recipe ever? Um, yeah, that would be that would be an absolute nightmare. I'll tell you what's not a nightmare, though. This delicious TDM 1874 IPA. We still have a few cans of it left. So if you're in Tachikawa and you're looking for some packaged beer, come on down. We are currently open for takeout sales only um, because of the current state of emergency. Um, we have three other great TDMs in stock as well. We have their Sour Cranberry. We have the New Zealand Double IPA. So I think it's 8.0%, which is really good. Big beer. Uh, and we have the... Uh, Best Bitter, the British Best Bitter, which is one of my favorites of theirs. A nice, multi, easy-drinking beer to go with the the version 16 IPA, which we talked about tonight. For hot beers that are moving quickly, not literally hot, that would make the hops go bad. Right. But they're metaphorically hot beers that are moving fast. So come down to the tap room. We're open every day from 12 till 8. I guess we're not currently a tap room. We're a bottle shop. Mm. because we're operating for takeout only indeed until the 22nd of august it's been a pleasure talking with you again daniel dorchester dan blue as always matthew manchego if you are listening to this and you have any questions for us about hops about how to store hops about homebrewing best practice then please get in touch we very much want to hear from you and we would love to answer your questions um, we're also always very happy to talk about the beers in our fridge. So if you come in here, we'd be happy to answer any questions mm. that you might have. Other than that, I don't think we have very much coming up, do we? It's a, we can't really, uh, we didn't touch on it at all, but we are shut down for drinking customers due to the state of emergency. We're takeout only for bottles and cans. So because of that, yeah, there's not really on the schedule other than uh, yeah, exciting here new beers coming in though. Exciting new beers coming in, yeah. That's, you mentioned that's the West Coast Brewing second anniversary strawberry milkshake double IPA. That's correct. There's, there's a lot of adjectives in there. There's one more in that though as well, right? The other second anniversary beer is their Black Book Imperial Stout. Uh, this is Black Book BV, which stands for blueberry and vanilla. 10.5, mm. 11.5? Something like that. I, I saw it on the website today, but it's a big boy. Sounds like the perfect beer for local pervert Daniel H. <laughs> he, he, likes, he likes the adjuncts. He likes the adjuncts. Thank you very much for listening again today. Uh, take care of yourselves, and we hope to see you again soon. Thanks, everybody, for listening.